Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. 
a beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Climo. This is Bo Buller, producer of Contacts. On the eve of March Madness, we are proud to bring you Coach Diedrich Taylor, one of the first Contacts guests. Coach Taylor has led Cal State Fullerton to a Big West title and an NCAA tournament berth to face Mike Krzyzewski and Duke on Friday, March 18th. First, to talk about Coach Taylor, is former CSU Fullerton assistant and current Stevenson School assistant head coach, Tyler Brown. After working with Coach Taylor for two years, I'm really excited, but I'm also not surprised at his success this past season. Punching his ticket to the NCAA tournament has been just an incredible ride as I've followed the team and kept in constant communication with him and other staff members. Coach Taylor has been someone who follows exactly what he preaches, uh, he's going to bring tremendous energy to the space. He's going to be very uh, detail-oriented and prepared, and he's also going to be well-organized. And one of the most important things that Coach Taylor taught me in my tenure was is to outwork everybody. And he goes to work every day. He puts his hard hat on, and he's really bought into the developing mindset, not just for his players, but for his staff members as well. So I'm excited to see them face Duke, and I know he's going to have his boys ready to go and prepared. Welcome back to Contacts. We are here with Diedrich Taylor, head basketball coach at Cal State Fullerton and former UC Davis Aggie that was there with me long, long ago. Welcome, <laughs> Coach Taylor. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks for being here with me. Obviously, the opportunity is grand and is great, but I will tell you this, you did not have to say a long, long time ago because it was a very long time ago that we were together. Absolutely. And if you look at our beards, it's probably very evident for people watching the YouTube version of this. But why don't we just dive right in and take us through your background as a coach? How did you get into that? What was it like at the beginning? How did you end up coaching in general and your initial job and any subsequent jobs that you dove into? Just take us through your journey. My journey started ironically at UC Davis. Coach Fogel was an assistant that I played for under Bob Williams. And then when Bob left to go to Santa Barbara, Coach Fogel became the head coach. And he offered me an opportunity that was a brainless opportunity. At the time, I was working as an agent, and I wanted to right all of the world's wrongs in the agent field. I thought I was that strong and that tough, and I had that big of an opinion, and little did I know, nobody cared. Nobody, it didn't matter to them. So I spent some time in that, and that was good for me for about a year and a half in terms of being an agent, developing and consummating the relationships. A lot of the relationships that I was able to develop then, they stand now. And the people that I deal with now and, and have those relationships 
their general managers, their coaches, obviously, their scouts and any number of things in the NBA. That definitely served me. But Coach Vogel gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. He brought me on board and let me do everything. Mm-hmm. everything from scouts to recruiting to coaching to off the floor academics you name it I did it I shared an office with with obviously Brian Fogel but he had his own office but Kevin Nozick who's still at UC Davis and Greg Klink who's the head coach at Chico State those two guys had a desk I only had a chair <laughs> and most people will frown at that and, and look at that. I was just excited to be there and, and super appreciative. Even now, looking back, I was appreciative of what they allowed me to do and be a part of. And so I started with Coach Fogel, then I moved and went to Loyola Marymount with uh, Steve Aggers, who gave me an unbelievable opportunity. And then I left Steve Aggers after one year and jumped on with my roommate, who was in college. And we made a pact that if we both got into coaching, one we would hire the other if he were a head coach. And he held true to form with his word. Um, when he got the head coaching job at Portland State, he hired me. I was the first call that he made. And I left Loyola Marymount and literally and drove from Southern California to Portland. And it was a lot of fun and so on and so forth. And so I spent two years there and I left there and went to Nevada and spent two years at Nevada. I and mean, we recruited and coached some of the greatest players and character guys that you'll ever want to meet. And, and I don't think they're household names per se, but obviously with the Lakers just winning the championship, JaVale McGee is one of those guys who I never had an opportunity to coach, but he was coming in as I was leaving. We recruited him, but again, he was coming in as I was leaving. So we had an unbelievable time there. I did not want to leave. We won 52 games in two years. And the talent that was coming, the talent that was there was literally unbelievable. I would pay money right now to see or to have those guys. And I think more importantly, as you become a head coach, you start to understand the little things like culture. Mm -hmm. It's a small thing, but it has a huge impact on the end result. Mm -hmm. And I think I was seeing a lot of the end result. Now we still had to work. We still had to do this and that, but it was already under Trent Johnson. It was already built, so to speak. And the culture was ingrained in each guy. And we did get the phone call from Arizona State from Herb Sendak. And and I didn't know Herb from a man in the moon. I knew who he was and I knew that he had a successful career at NC State. And obviously vice versa, he didn't know who I was. And he asked around who, who he should hire. And for some reason, my name, continued to come up. And I was not going to take the Arizona State job. I was actually going to do a favor for Sonny Vaccaro, who called and said, hey, why don't you at least just interview with this guy? Do me a favor. You never tell Sonny no. You right. don't do that. So I didn't. And I went down and interviewed and the interview was cool. And, you know, the mindset was different. I wasn't there to please them. I wasn't there to win them over. I was just there because Sonny asked me to be there. And literally I could care less, but I got back home and about a week later, he offered me the job and Trent called me and said, Hey, take that job. You need to take it. And when Trent Johnson, who was at Stanford at the time, when he said that, it's almost like in our day, EF Hutton spoke. Mm-hmm. When Trent Johnson speaks, you listen because he was one of my mentors. And again, I, that's a funny story. I'll tell you later if you ask me, but he was a guy that I looked up to and a mentor, so to speak, and a guy who's spoken. I trusted his word. And he said, hey, you need to take that job. And I'll tell you what, it was probably the best thing that I've ever done in my career. I was with Herb for seven years. Mm-hmm. And 
in terms of learning how to run a program, how to build a program, how to change culture, how to change mindset, um, how to hold guys accountable and only stand for their best, I was able to learn. And so I left there seven years and became the head coach at Cal State Fullerton, which is back in my home state, so to speak. I'm 35 minutes from my hometown. My sister went to school here and graduated from here, who's now back working here. She works without the COVID. She worked maybe five minutes from me in a different building. And so we learned a tremendous amount and we can dive into that. But as a head coach, honestly, the biggest difference is as an assistant, you think you have all the answers. But when you become a head coach, those answers become decisions. And you start to question those decisions quite a bit. We've been really fortunate to follow in some good footsteps here and and assemble some guys that really care about each other first. Mm -hmm. They're concerned about the outcome first. And because of that, we've graduated a lot of guys. We've had our fair share of winning. But then also we have produced quite a few pros Mm -hmm. out of here. And not to brag on myself because it has nothing to do with me, but because we believe in the development of each individual player, it's crazy, I'm going to say this, that we have 26 in seven years, there's been 26 pros that have left us, graduated, and gone on to play professional basketball, whether it be European, whether it be the G League, whatever it is. And that's probably one thing that I'm most proud of is that they understand the level of professionalism that it takes. And when I say professionalism, I'm not talking about signing a professional contract. I'm more talking about the understanding of what it takes every single day to wake up with a purpose in mind. Mm -hmm. What I'm talking about is understanding, okay, that assignment has to get done. I'm going to take time to do that. That to me is professionalism, not necessarily signing the contract. That's the easy part. There's been guys that have tried us not going to class or not taking a test or something and thinking they're going to play in the game. Not here, buddy. Right. doesn't work that way. And you can see the culture shift with the understanding of these are the rules. This is what we're going to be held accountable for and guys stepping up and meeting them. I think that's probably the biggest compliment that you could make to a program. Like for instance, the guy who missed the test, he missed the game and it totally changed his life around because he thought he was going to go. We didn't take him and we lost Mm -hmm. today. You know what he does now? He's, he works for an agent agency. He's an agent. He works for a group out of Atlanta and probably one of the greatest success stories that we, we have and that we know, and that's where we take great pleasure. And all because he was held the standard for something that the program had determined was important and was a non-negotiable and learned that by doing those things, you actually open doors rather than closing. No doubt. And that, that I couldn't have said it better. And so that literally is our outlook. That's what we're trying to produce more of productive citizens once they leave here, whether they be professional athletes, whether they go out into the real world and work, whatever, just be productive and be responsible for you. Great story, coach. And Going all the way back to the beginning of that thing, you had a chair in the office, which was in the main office. I had the closet next door with all the videotapes with no windows, if you remember. Yeah. So yep. you actually, the chair in the main office was yeah. better than the closet. Make sure they understand that you were in the room with the closet with the videos, yeah. the CDs, not synergy with the video. The videotapes, VHS yeah. tapes, clipping. No. Absolutely, no. different era. You mentioned that all... As an assistant, you have all the answers. And when you move over, 
you don't have any of them. You just have questions. What else did you need to figure out when you first became a head coach? And actually, since you have such a, a distinguished career as an assistant coach at a handful of different places, even some of the things you learned at each stop on your journey, that was like eye-opening that you were able to take with you throughout the rest of your journey in addition to going into the main chair. Sure. I think the, one of the first and foremost things as an assistant that we learned, like we work for, as you mentioned, a handful of guys, and they're all different. They all want the same thing, but they believe how to get there differently. And understanding that, but not only understanding that, but appreciating that and learning what Heath Schroyer wants, like the type of player, the type of kid, the type of young man, it was different than what Steve Aggers at Loyola wanted mm -hmm. and what the two schools could get in. Because Portland State, if you had a pulse, you pretty much could get in. At Loyola Marymount, you needed a 3-0 and a thousand SAT or we really couldn't even look at you. And it's the same thing with UC Davis. Right. And so learning where you are and what that entails and what you represent, I think is super important as you go through this and offensively and defensively. Mm -hmm. Heath was different than Mark, very different in how they approached the game from those two respective areas. And so sitting back and learning all those things, I think the greatest thing you can do, and I always encourage people to do this, no matter who you work for, start a notebook. I was fortunate to, to uh, hear George Raveling speak yesterday. And he says that every day he has a journal and he just writes down his thoughts. Mm -hmm. But taking it one step further, to give you a personal example. What I would do at Arizona State or, or Nevada is I would make friends with a manager. Or, or a graduate assistant. And on the court, I would have ideas and thoughts and, and they could be dealing with a situation on the floor, a scenario on the court or something off the floor. I would just write it down and give it to him. And he would run up and stick it in a notebook. And then every year we would go back and organize that notebook. And that became who we are. That became how we would run our program. Now, there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't do or a lot of stuff that I've learned for myself as a head coach. I learned that I can't coach everybody. As an assistant, I thought that I could. If they were talented enough, hey, bring them on. Bring them to me. Just we'll slide them in and let them go play, wind them up. I don't. I can't. I learned that. It took me two years as a head coach to understand I could not coach that guy. So now what I look for are high character guys, not to say that they're not going to make mistakes because they are, but learning from those mistakes, admitting there is those mistakes and taking responsibility for those things. It's important to me. Communication is important to me. If I email you or if I text you and you don't text me back 24, 48 hours, I'm not going to recruit you because that's what to expect when I get you. I already had that and I know that I can't trust that. Mm -hmm. I can't trust for you to know penetration is coming to the basket. You got to go outside the lane and meet that penetration. I can't expect that because you won't even text me back. Mm -hmm. And so learning those things and understanding those things and again, having an appreciation for those things, it, it took me some time to get to that. But now I can listen and talk to a young man and tell you whether or not we can exist together. Mm -hmm. And that is probably the biggest difference that I've noticed what each individual can tolerate. There mm -hmm. are some guys that can tolerate that. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of us that can't, 
but understanding who you are and what you can and cannot tolerate, and then what you won't tolerate, mm -hmm. I think is important is just the same. I won't tolerate a lazy guy. Like if you're lazy, hey man, there's probably 359 other division ones you could play at, but this one, you can't. Not if you're lazy. We're cut from the same cloth, you and I. Right. Um, we, we just operate differently. Like you gotta have your own stuff about it. you gotta have your own energy. And we feed off of each other from an energetic standpoint. And that's important to me. Yeah. And would you say that as you were an assistant coach and you were looking at the strengths of the different head coaches you worked for that you had to morph to fit their blind spots more? Or would you say that you fit a consistent role with each of them? I think both. I thought for early in my career, I just fit a consistent role. What was on paper? Mm -hmm. But later in my career, I started to understand the blind spots. Mm -hmm. I started to understand the relationship that I had and what I'm supposed to be doing. On paper, yes, it says this, but I'm supposed to put that guy in the best possible position to be successful. Mm -hmm. Literally, if you take the word assistant and you take the root of that, it literally means to assist them in being successful. Mm -hmm. And I never really appreciated it understood it until the latter part of my career working for Herb Sendek because he had to point it out to me. He, we know I'm, I'm not the brightest star in the sky, but he pointed it out to me like the more years that you are married, the more years you're together, you start to understand certain situations. Yeah, he can operate in that. Then there are certain situations he's not as functional in that. So I need to step in and be more functional. And it's a dual relationship. Mm -hmm. There are certain situations that I don't function in that that coach can come along and be successful or in that situation, whether he's the head coach or assistant, it doesn't matter, but it's a marriage. It's a bond. It's a commonality that we both have in terms of winning, not just on the floor, but winning off the floor. And, and those are things that, that go into it. And I would imagine that you do everything you can within your own staffing to fill your blind spots per se, as you try to fill out your own staff. Yeah. No doubt. I try to, because again, that calls for self-reflection and that causes you to look at that person in the mirror, not to the left, not to the right, not the behind you, but the person in the mirror. And I do that very often. Mm -hmm. And I try to understand what my strengths and weaknesses are. And I think I even take it one step further and tell whoever I'm working with, hey, this is where I'm really good. This is where I'm not so good. Mm -hmm. and try to take away the, the trivial part for them because we don't have much time. Right. Let's get right to it and let's get the best of each other and let's be productive together. Whereas other places, it, it's taken some time to understand that and to learn that. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, learning that is the most important part. Understanding that is the most important part. And it sounds like throughout your career, you figured out how valuable that is it's almost like with your player's role definition that the more clear you are with your assistants hey this is where I'm not good this is where I'm good and this is where I need you to pick me up that growth has probably led to a better in your words marriage amongst your staff no doubt without question I think the the proper word in this scenario will be the expectation hmm. what I expect for instance today's our first day back now we're October 12th today's our first day back and our strength and conditioning coach came in. He said, what do you think? I said, because of I'm managing the expectations, I don't expect them to do everything right. I don't expect them to do everything perfect. I expect them to go hard. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's all. And so minimizing those expectations, I feel good about our team today. Right. Because I did minimize those expectations. Now you asked me the question three or four weeks later, those expectations will change because now we've spent more time together. Now we've been married longer. We've right. been dating longer. We understand each other at a different level. And so you can change those expectations based on you've been around each other longer. You understand each other better. And so trying to be very vocal with that, communicate that as much as we can. And I told our team, don't get mad whether you make or miss a shot. I don't care. What I'm more consumed with is making sure that you understand that's a good shot. That's not a good shot. More than I am, you making it. That's what I'm consumed about. So that when you come off the bench or when you come out of the game and come to the bench, I can tell you coming out because you took two bad shots in a row. That's not conducive to winning. Or you're tired. Let me know when you're ready to go back in because what you did on the floor, taking two good shots, getting the other teammates three or four good shots, we need that because that's conducive to winning. And you're also probably evaluating at this time, especially what's their mistake response like versus whether the shot's going in and the outcome is what you want. It's process of getting to that point. Earlier on, we talked about what you learned during your time with coaches and Trent Johnson's one of your mentors. I'm curious, and you can run with this however you'd like, but what's the best thing you guys do as a program in regards to things you've implemented over the years that have had the largest ripple effect? It can be tangible. It can be intangible, but are there things you've taken from each of your mentors that have come with you? And I know that's a hard question. You brought up Trent in regards to him being a mentor. So I'm sure there's some specifics you can give me there, but I don't know if there's anything else that has been a through line for you throughout your career? Definitely. I think I was very fortunate in this, from this regard in terms of I got to choose my mentors while I was coaching. So if I saw Donnie Daniels or I saw David Carter or Trent Johnson or Marty Wilson or Gary Stewart, any of those guys in a gym, I would go sit right next to them. Like I would literally be the quarter inside their pocket. That's how close I was to them. Now I wasn't sitting there because I wanted to laugh and joke with them. I would ask a million questions. What are you watching? Why are you watching that? Why are you looking over there? Explain that to me. What did you just see that you wrote down in your notes? I would ask these questions a million times. And it was for me, literally, I was stealing and abstracting information from them. I went to work for Nevada. Everybody thinks that I went to work for Nevada for the opportunity. I ain't that smart. I went to work at Nevada because I wanted to be next to David Carter. He was a mentor of mine. He's now one of my best friends. His son is a walk-on in my program. And I'm more excited about that. But it started back because I saw him having success. And I wanted to be a part of that. And all of those guys that I named even more there were a lot of those guys that are out there that were willing to give. You ask me, oh, here, this is why. Here, this is it. Oh, okay, you wanna know? Here. So they were telling, we weren't competing against each other. And, and so how it shows up in our program, I think like Trent, and you mentioned Trent, the accountability piece is very big. And I learned that from a lot of people, but, but with Trent in particular, because I followed him and guys were acting not different, but they would hold themselves accountable. And I'd be like, where'd you learn that from? Where do you get that from? And they would say, that's the way Trent run it. During the season, this is a small thing, but yet a big thing. He would make us dress a certain type of way. We had to wear a polo or a collar shirt, slacks and hard sole shoes. As a coach, 
out of the season, you could wear a polo and shorts or whatever. Now, during the season, obviously, you come to the office and two hours later, you're going on the forward skill development and stuff. But it was the mindset of what that represented and the fact that you never know who you're going to see. Mm-hmm. Who's going to see you? A booster, an AD, assistant AD, the compliance. And you always wanted to look professional. You always wanted to dress professional. How does that show up in our program now? When we travel to the airport, I don't allow flip-flops. I make sure that we're dressed appropriately. If it's cold, I make sure that our guys have a bomber jacket with an F on it so that they can wear that. If it's warm, I want to make sure that we are dressed a certain type of way for the same reason that Trent Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm saying it to you now, and it's not that big of an impact, but if you do it, you'd be amazed at how many people would say, wow, that guy right there, he knows what he's doing. And you could not know anything. <laughs> like literally on my resume, it says that my undergraduate is from UC Davis. And people talk to me and approach me and they know that information and they think they know me until they until I speak. Then it's, how in the heck did you go to Davis? <laughs> it's one of those deals. But that's the way that those mentors show up every day. Like Herb Sindek, he's one of my mentors. And I talk to him not regularly, but, but like once a month or once every other month. And we'll talk about different things that are going on. And, and I will tell him, he shows up in my program every day. The way that I write our practice, the way that I conduct myself in practice, the way that I conduct the film session, it's a derivative of Herb. Mm-hmm. It's how he saw things with a twist of me in them. Mm-hmm. But he gets all the credit because he showed me how to do it. The greatest gift that Herb Sendak gave to me, obviously, was the opportunity. But the second one is he allowed me to watch film with him. Mm. And literally, Herb, he watched so much film, he could be on the other side of the floor, facing the other way. And he knows that the guy in the corner is two feet too close. Back up for spacing. He understands that because he put the time in. And he knows those things. I could go on and on about those things, but learning in every situation, whether you're successful, the greatest growth that I've had in this as a head coach, I think has come from making mistakes, mm-hmm. doing things the wrong way. I remember vividly one of the questions after we went to the tournament was about our team and our program. And, and the way I answered it is I said, it provides validation for the young men that are in our program, for our staff, for myself, for the athletic director that hired us, it says that we are on the right track, trying to do the right things. Mm -hmm. We're not perfect, Mm -hmm. but I had to suffer through that to appreciate sitting on that stage and the question being asked of us, what's different? What does this say for Cal State Fullerton? Most people, it says a whole lot. It means a whole lot. No, all it does is provide a level of validation saying that we're trying to do what's right. Yeah, you just mentioned that mistakes are the biggest moment of growth. And I heard somebody say at one point, if you think about making movies and you do take one and they mess it up, let's do take two. You missed that first one. So it's a root of the word mistake. You just do another take, right? And growth isn't linear. So you're going to have your starts and stops and fits and show success, take a step back and get back on the horse, so to speak, and showing up every day, 
with the right attire. It's like making your bed, the seed that you plant that then these guys take with them to that next level. And all those lessons you learn from each of those stops, what is it that you do that if you ever go somewhere else that you're definitely, it's going to be one of the foundational things that you take with you. You mentioned culture earlier, right? You got to fight for your culture. I get that. But are there things that you do that our listeners could take with them and think about and then put their own spin on that maybe applies to what they do? Yeah, I'll I'll give you two things that are near and dear to me. And I've learned them over the course of time of of being a head coach. And the first and foremost, I've said this word before, but I'm, I'm glad you asked the question. And the word is energy. Like I have a quote that is above my office. If, if you don't mind, I'll show it to you. Can you see it? Be responsible for the energy that you bring to the space. And that is super important. So the lady that did it, her name is Jill Bolte Taylor. She's a doctor. Okay. Real quick. I'll try to make this really quick. She's a doctor and she suffered a stroke and a brain aneurysm all at the same time. I might be mistaken what she suffered from, but she could not do for herself. She could not do anything for herself. But one of the ways that she would identify who was in the room, because she wasn't necessarily coherent, she was in a coma. Mm -hmm. But one of the ways that she would identify who was in the room was by their energy. And I heard her on Oprah Winfrey say that. And and, and to me, it like hit me like a ton of bricks. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Be responsible for your own energy. Don't allow and don't wait for someone else to tell you how you should be, how your energy should be. You are responsible for that. And and I'm a big energy person. If you're low energy, man, please, that's worse than lazy. I don't don't have nothing for you. And that's the thing that I'm most excited about this group is I think they have their own energy and it is high. Mm -hmm. It's very high. Now that's not to say we're going to win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. But it is to say it's something that I'm attracted to. It's something that I like. It's something that I covet. And it's something that I want to create as a part of our culture is the energy. But every person is responsible for that. So, for instance, if you see your head coach or, or you see an assistant that is down and they're not up, you might listen to them or you might slide them an encouraging word. But at the end of the day, you want to interact with them and their energy for that moment in time. You want it to be high. And so you're responsible for your own, but also be responsible for the other people because you're responsible for your own. And that has always stuck to me. It's stuck so much to where it's on my wall. And I think it's so so important. On that one really quickly, D, that reminds me, Dina Evans has said, and I show this video every year to my athletes, which is you can either contribute or you can contaminate. There's no in between. And, Mm -hmm. And that sounds so much like that. It is. It's 100%. You are either a contributor or you're, you're, I think John Gordon said it best, which is another favorite book of mine. Oh my gosh, it's like the Bible, the energy bus. Mm-hmm. You either are providing energy or you're taking it away. Right. It is like you said, there's no in between. Yep. But the energy bus, a friend of mine who happens to be my agent, sent me that book some time ago. And I literally, it's life changing. Yep. The energy bus is life changing. But I think the second thing that we'll take away and take with us is just, being a little bit better each day, mm-hmm. managing those expectations. My athletic director says it best. And it took me three years to understand this analogy, like drinking out of a fire hose. And for the life of me, I'd never, what are you talking about? Like, that's so <laughs> stupid. But I understand it now, two, three years later. Like, 
you're just trying to consume all of this information and you're trying so hard to make it make sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm no longer drinking out of that fire hose. Everything is not coming at me at one time because I don't let it. I take it bit by bit and I give it my best. And I told our team that today, if you can be better on Wednesday than you were today, that's all I'm asking for. I'm not asking you to be the best. I'm saying be better. And every single day, if you can be a little bit better, I guarantee you will find your level of success. And I think that transcends any mascot, that transcends any institution, that transcends anything that you can say that would be attached to one university. And I'll forever remember that and take that with me moving forward. I think it transcends sport. I think it transcends industry. We talk with our guys about 1% better every day. You're 365% better at the end of the year. And then if you want to get super cute, you add the compounding interest and it's probably way beyond that. No doubt. And one thing I stole from Steve Lavin in our first team meeting, we asked our team to be incrementally better. Just give a little more. Mm -hmm. Our first team meeting, I don't care about anything else, but just give a little bit more. There were three things that we asked them to be. Number one, we wanted them to give a little bit more. Number two is always be on time. Mm-hmm. And being on time for me is if you're supposed to be there at two o'clock, you need to be there at 155. Mm-hmm. That's on time. And then the other thing is always tell the truth. Yeah. I can't help you if I don't know the truth. If I don't know where you're coming from, yeah. if I don't know the truth and I go over there and fight for you and it's not the truth, then now you got two dumb asses. Yeah, that's not cool. And that's the other life lesson there that it takes a while for people to learn. But if you tell the truth, you never have to remember anything. If you don't, then all your stories start getting convoluted anyway, and it's always going to blow up. How would you you say that in your time as a head coach, especially, because that's fully the time when the buck stops here. So the last seven years, how would you say your approach to coaching has changed? Ooh, it's funny. As an assistant, you spend all of your time trying to get in this seat because you think you can control the X's and the O's. You think it's all about the X's and the O's, right? That is like 5% of what you do as a head coach. The other 95, you're solving other people's problems mm-hmm. that you didn't create. Mm-hmm. Heck, you don't even know how it became a problem. But it is a problem and it's on your desk and it's your job as the head of that program to solve it and solving it however you see fit. As long as everybody's happy, that's one of the ways. But I I would say doing that, man, like what these guys bring in my office in terms of of recruiting and how we're going to guard these ball screens and man, get out of town. I have no idea. Not only that, I don't care because this dude over here is about to get kicked out of the dorms. Those are the things that you deal with. Now, I want to back up and say we have three things offensively and we have three things defensively that we do with our staff. Mm -hmm. Defensively, there's three things that are important to me. Contain penetration, ball screen coverage, and rebounding. At the end of the day, as long as those three things are present, I'm not going to get mad. I'll probably get frustrated. I'll probably get upset, but I'm telling our staff, those three things are important. And then you build around that offensively spacing. Can we space the floor? The second thing is, can we make the extra pass? One more. Yeah. The one more pass. 
And I think the third thing is getting downhill as early and as often as possible, because that creates, in my opinion, the first two. And that's what I've told our staff. Those are the three things that are important. As long as those three things are important, we understand what a good shot versus a bad shot is. But it took me a long time to get there. It took me a lot of watching film of ourselves. took me a lot of watching film of teams that I like, what they do and respect. But those are the things that we do. And our staff knows those things and they move on. They, they know what we will stand for in recruiting, who we are, what we want. And that's what we talk about. But all my other time is dealing with boosters, is dealing with our administration, is dealing with any number of things that don't have anything to do with basketball. Um, it's, it's the craziest thing. And I, I think I answered your question. hundred percent. I'll just message it back is you, you figured out what your non-negotiables were on both sides of the court. You yeah. figured out where to identify and resource your time and yeah. what you could offload to your assistants. Yeah. And you talked about the things that you ask of your kids and how you want them to behave. And one of the things that popped up when you said um, we're solving other people's problems often. It reminds me of something that I came across the other day that I've tried to share with my own children when they're having emotional uh, outbursts, which is you're 100% responsible for how you respond to circumstances you didn't create. And that's a controllable, right? And so that's how you've changed as a coach, especially you went even deeper. As an assistant, I was responsible for X. As a head coach moving over 18 inches, to quote what Rich said on episode one, it, it's a completely different deal. And everything I thought it was, it is a very small portion of what it actually is. Yes, and I, I think through sport, like you are able to learn those things like life lessons. Right. How you respond to a problem that you didn't create, you are 1000% responsible for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that's one of the reasons why I like sports, particularly basketball, because I, I think every day you deal with that. Sure. And your ability to solve those things, your ability to respond is what makes or breaks you, determines the outcome. Because there's quite a few people that will, I don't want to deal with that and go the other way. Mm-hmm. But then there are quite a few people that will look that head on and say, you know what, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to get through that. I'm going to push through that. And then that's who they become. Yep. And I think that's the big, that's one of the biggest qualities that sports teaches us. And it doesn't matter what you do, basketball, lacrosse, hockey, women's volleyball, I think you have an opportunity to learn those things. And I would go as far as to say, shame on you if you don't learn those things. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the deal, right? You quoted John Gordon. I think when we talked off camera, adversity is the university. Might've come from him. It might not have, but in sports, that adversity shows up so quickly, especially in basketball. You don't have time to hang your head because you're going the other direction and you have to learn those lessons. No doubt. If we went back to the beginning, and you could offer advice for young Coach Taylor getting into the profession, starting on your journey at any point. And maybe it's different advice at each leg on the journey, Coach, but what would you offer yourself? I would slow down. I would tell young me to slow down and appreciate the opportunities that are before you, mm-hmm. whatever they are, whether they're good, bad, wrong, or indifferent, appreciate them. And, and I was really fortunate, I think, to visit with a guy, and I'll tell you his name throughout the story, but I think he told me something that I, I would tell anybody, even my younger self, I'd tell it to me again. So I played or I worked with Heath Schroyer. We played together, but I worked with him. And so every summer he would go back and work Morgan Wooten's camps. 
Mm-hmm. And Coach Wooden is probably one of the most successful coaches that you'll ever know. Like he's the John Wooden, John Thompson. He's super duper successful on and off the court. You should see it's a who's who back there every summer. So we had about 15, 20 minutes and he had a book that came out and he was signing my book for me. And he said, hey, I'm going to tell you something. I said, really, what do you have to say, coach? And he said, do this for me. Don't chase money. Chase success and the money will follow you. And I've been very cognizant of trying to choose career paths or making decisions based on that. Finding success and then letting the money come alongside of that success. And, And I would tell my younger self that again, because I think if you govern yourself not by money, you govern yourself by a version of success, I think you stand to experience um, success at a completely different level. It means more. And I try to, I have, I've governed myself by those words and strategically moved where I thought success was going to occur. Not the money. Like for instance, I'll tell you a quick story. Mark Fox, he offers me the job, which means I got to leave my best friend. He's Schroyer. We had just recruited a guy, two guys that went on to be one led the country in assist. Mm-hmm. The other was all league in terms of scoring. And they won the first ever big sky championship. We recruited those guys. So I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But Mark Fox, the opportunity to work with David Carter and under Mark and, and so on and so forth. Like I was so excited about coming to the decision that I was going to accept the job that I took the job. And then he was like, don't you want to know the money? I said, oh, yeah. What was the money? I, and he said it. I didn't hear it. He said, I said, that's cool. I'll take it. And then he said, you get a car. I said, it's cool. I'll take it. But what governed me was success. Yep. They had had a version of success and they had a little bit of success and they were moving on. And I wanted to be a part of what they were doing there. And that's what governed me. And I think it's really hard for individuals who choose to get into coaching nowadays to look at the situation and try to determine whether that can be successful or not. But I think if they act accordingly and they do what's necessary, what they think will lead to success, Mm -hmm. it will give them a version of success. Now, it might not be the success that they want or they had in mind. But again, it goes back to you learn more from your losses and your mistakes that lead to success versus having success. There's an old gospel song that says this, if we never had any rain, we would never grow. Mm -hmm. If we never had any adversity, we would never know what success was like. You have to go through adversity to get there. But if you keep having success, you can't appreciate it. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's interesting that you brought it back to that because if the listeners remember earlier on, you took the job at Nevada because you wanted to be with David Carter. And it's going all the way back and bringing it full circle. Yeah, of course the money was irrelevant. It was like, this is an opportunity to learn. This is what I really care about. And that's played out throughout your career. I'm going to ask one more thing, coach, that wasn't planned for, but I think it's important in regards to the way in which you give back to the coaching community and the way in which you've intentionally been paying your mentorship forward from those that you learned before. Can you talk a little bit in whatever way you're comfortable about the think tank that you guys do for the young assistants and and really trying to set them up and pass on these lessons that you've learned and just give us a soundbite that may inspire others to do something similar in whatever way that they can. 
Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked about it. I, I have no problem sharing. So what the think tank is, and I'll tell you how it came about. I got this job, maybe I was 37 years ago. I was 39, 38, somewhere around there. And so I took the job. And when I took the job, there was a bunch of assistant coaches, black assistant coaches that were in the league. And they would ask our assistant coach, whose name is Rob Spence, young black guy. They would ask him, how does D do this? And he would come back and ask me. And, and it just, how does he do this? Well, how does he do that? How did he navigate that? I said, Rob, let's just get in a room at the end of the season and they can ask me whatever they want to ask me. I have no, no, ask me how we guard a play. I don't care. My point is, as you said, I'm paying it forward and I'm doing what was done for me in terms of, I could ask Donnie Daniels. I could ask Marty Wilson, David Carter. I could ask those dudes anything. Bob Williams, you have to understand, I played for him and now I'm looking at him down the sideline and competing against him. Mm-hmm. We're in the same league, but I can pick up the phone and say, coach, what do you think about this? We're getting ready to play who's in our league. We're getting ready to play you. What do you, and he would tell me. Right. He wouldn't tell me if we were playing him. <laughs> he stopped having coffee with me, Climo, because the first time he had coffee with me, beat him. He never it. did it again. That was never it. did it again. But, and that's how the think tank became. And so I patterned it out of or after Villa 7 in terms of bringing uh, search firms, agents, athletic directors, assistant athletic directors, SID, mental coaches, financial guys, you name it. We had it. And it's grown from the first time we did it, I think it was 14 people, to the last time we did it pre-COVID. I think it was over 50 people that were, that were, and, and, and again, I don't social, use social media to publicize it. Or, I don't do that. It's a word of mouth thing. And if you call me, you can come it's just like that. Like people are, how do I get into the think tank? Do you want in? Okay, cool. I'll see you on this date. I'll see you at this time. But I think it's one of the most opportunistic times to hear and share ideas and network. Three guys have gotten head coaching jobs out of there. And that wasn't the purpose of it, but because of the networking opportunity, they've gotten jobs, the information that, that they've learned. And just like you and I are talking, mm-hmm. we just have a person up there who's a former AD and we give him an hour and a half and he can talk on whatever he wants to talk on. Mm-hmm. And the audience can ask whatever questions they ask. The only caveat that I have is that what you see here, what you hear here, what you say here, please let it stay here. Like we won't do Zoom, guys have been hit. What about Zoom on the think tank? No, we ain't doing that. It loses some of the luster if you Zoom. And I appreciate this opportunity. I appreciate Zoom, but the think tank is totally different. And we've grown it, man. And and it literally is an opportunity for young African-Americans and for any black guys to come and mentor, network, you name it, just come. I, I don't care. Some of the best times are had at dinner. We'll do our deal and then we'll go to dinner and we'll keep talking and we'll talk scheduling and how important that is. We'll talk recruiting philosophies. And I think this needs to be said. Never, ever do we talk about X's and O's. Never. And that's on purpose. X's and O's, and I I can't remember if it's subjective or objective. I think it's subjective. There's different ways to do the same thing. Yep. But we never talk about X's and O's. Whether you down a ball screen or you hard hedge it, I, don't, I could care less at that point in time. I don't want to hear it. What I want to hear is how you presented your scout. So we don't talk X's and O's. We don't talk anything that has anything to do with 
the schematic part of basketball. Mm -hmm. We talk about your court presence, how you present a scout, whether you use notes or whether you don't use notes. Mm -hmm. There's something that quantifies those two. The fact that the the team is asking, okay, coach, whose scout is it? They know if you know your stuff. So if you got notes, you probably don't know. But we talk about that stuff. We talk about um, the interview process to get a head coaching job, to get an assistant job. We talk about the finances, wherever you are, whatever level, show you how to grow your money. Mm -hmm. A big point and a big thing that I think is really important is the mental uh, health for the coaches, not the players. That's important. Don't get me wrong. That is super important. But if I, as a coach, if I'm not right, how can I get my team? How can I get them ready? If I'm not right in between my ears, this this is important for me to be in the same place. So we talk about any and everything that does not have to do with X's and O's. And it has grown. And every year I tell you, Climo, I say, I'm not doing it for the next year. I'm not doing it for the next year. And, and to a man, every speaker gets up and says, hey, we got to do this again next year. Hey, nobody asked you none of that. We not. <laughs> because the one thing that, that most people don't understand to put something on like this costs money. Where does that money come from? We don't have sponsors. We don't go out and get sponsors. We don't, none of that. The NABC, they did sponsor us and they wrote us a check. But prior to that and previous since that, that stuff, the money comes out of my pocket. Right. We have a staff of two, myself and Anthony Santos, who's an assistant here, who's not black. So we let him be in there because he works hard to put it on with us. But it's a great opportunity for people to do what you and I are doing and just tell stories of what you learn, what you haven't learned, what yeah. works, what doesn't work, and so on and so forth. To me, it's probably a unique opportunity because you're coming face-to-face with a lot of the search firms. Yeah. You're coming face-to-face with a lot of the athletic directors, the assistant athletic directors. You're learning how to go about getting a job. You'd be amazed at how many people don't know how it works and what information you need to present in the interview process or to get an interview. We talk about all of those things. And again, so much is gotten out of the opportunity. Search firms, they want to be here because they want to know us. Yeah. The only reason I know about it, obviously, is because I called you about one of my own guys and was like, hey, would love for you to take him under your wing, mentor him. And you were like, no problem. I got it. We'll take care of this. And then boom, right into the think tank. So yeah. I think it's great that you're doing that. And, you know, it's an affinity group at the no end doubt. of the day, which no even if you don't have access to what Coach Taylor's doing within your own geographic region you can build your own affinity group with the coaches on your own campus coaches around you and and that's I think the the lesson there and and so thanks for sharing that I know that's deeply personal and you're very proud of it and it it doesn't get enough attention because you don't advertise it so we'll throw that out there and anybody that wants to contact coach Taylor check the website find his email address coach thanks for being here really appreciate it lots of pearls of wisdom there that you were able to share with us today Definitely, man. I appreciate the opportunity and it's unbelievable to, to, to be here with you and, and what you're doing. I hope people and coaches in general take advantage of what you're trying to do and the concept. They, they understand it and they contribute to it, but also take something from it that, that they will inspire themselves and inspire others because that's what it's about. I mean, is, is each one teach one and continue to grow and continue to keep the thing going. So what you have here is all inspiring. I'll say that. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. And see you soon. And we'll definitely talk more about some of the things that we didn't have time to go into. Definitely. Look forward to it. 
This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts.